0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman. Thanks so much for being here. Excited to have you guys here. If you're new here, welcome. Please subscribe to the show if you find it of value. If you've been here for a while, you're amazing. I love you all. And please share the show with more physicians and physician families so we can help them understand personal finance and feel overall just comfortable with their financial situation. Alright, before we go further into the show, let's hear from today's sponsor. It's a little bit different. It's by Dr. Wiseman, and she is an amazing podcaster at Doctor Me First, and she's recorded a little something for you guys here.
1: Hey there, this is Dr. Erin Wiseman. I'm a fellow Doctor Podcast Network member, life coach, and Mama 3. I kick butt, I take names, and I help other high-achieving people do the exact same. And today, I want to invite you over to my podcast, Dr. Me First. It's well over 300 episodes, and each one is filled with inspiration and advice from amazing guests. So grab your wife, your mom, your sister, your best friend, and come tune in as we explore what it means to be a woman in medicine and a woman in this world. This podcast is a dose of everything that I needed when I was burned out, exhausted, and ready to quit it all. At the end of the day, I do this to help you feel more connected to yourself and to connect with others. I love to end my show with a kick of encouragement, so here's my favorite tagline. Your life, your calling, your pulse matters. See you over at Dr. Me First.
0: All right. It's a fun to uh, have a different voice on the air. So thank you so much for Dr. Wiseman. I highly recommend you guys go check out her show. All right. So we've got some fun stuff coming up over the next three months on the financial residency podcast, and I'm going to talk all about real estate this month. I have received so many questions around real estate and how to get started. And is this a good investment? Which, heads up, if you email me something saying, is this a good investment? I cannot answer that question for you unless you're one of our clients. And if you are, that is not how to do it. We will probably have a discussion uh, around the overall financial picture that you have and how real estate investing fits into that. But if you're not a client, you can check us out, physicianwallservices.com. We're fee-only financial planners and work with physicians all across the country, helping them answer all the questions that they have around their finances. But we've received so many questions around real estate that I thought, you know what? Let's just make May real estate month and let's talk all about real estate and how it impacts you personally in your finances. And is it right for you and the ways to invest in real estate? And so today is going to be kind of a primer for that. It's going to be, let's call it a high level guide to getting started in real estate. We've talked about real estate for almost four years now. So we've talked about real estate before quite a bit, but this will be. Just a deep dive into real estate. Next month, in June, we are going to be talking all about student debt, where the entire market is going, how we see federal loans working out, public service loan forgiveness, the different repayment options, all that kind of stuff is going to be in June. And then in July, we're going to be talking all about physician contracts and what you need to review and should you get it reviewed and what needs to be inside of it, how to negotiate, all the good stuff. But this month is all about real estate. And I think if we look around on the interwebs, if you will, really there's a lot of information that's targeting physicians around real estate investing. It seems to go hand in hand at this point. And I know many of you who are practicing medicine want to find passive income and you're looking in the world of real estate investing. Now, passive income, I don't firmly believe in passive income. I think it is active that ultimately over time can become more passive, but there's nothing that you can say where I'm going to put my money in and do absolutely nothing here. That would be, I think, irresponsible of you and you shouldn't do that, but I digress. Now there's a ton of information for those that want to get started. I put a lot on the financial residency blog and I have a frequent guest poster is Kathy Carroll, who's an MD and a CFA, and she's been on the show quite a few times and she owns Rika and uh, that is her firm that does multifamily syndications. And she helps me out a lot with writing on real estate. But I thought let's do this kind of ultimate series, if you will, over the month of May. And I think the biggest question that I get asked if I wrap it up all together and kind of lump you all together that email me, which by the way, you can always email me a question, Ryan at financialresidency.com. I will likely respond back though saying, Hey, record this question by going to question." Because everyone's going to have the same thing. Now I know a lot of you aren't comfortable with your voice being on air, which is totally fine. And that's why I'm just bringing all these questions into one since some of you didn't want to call in stuff. But it's basically, you're asking, is real estate investing right for me? And I think just so many other ideas that are out there with whether it's starting a business, one idea might work for someone but not for everyone. Personal finance is personal But if you're curious about real estate investing as an additional, let's say, avenue of income, then I want you to continue listening for this whole month because you're either going to probably by the end of the month go, yeah, that's not for me. And I'll just stick to REITs and stocks and bonds. Or maybe you're like, yeah, I, I could dig this. This sounds fun. Let's dip my toe further in the water and learn more and research more before investing, though. Now, as I mentioned, like real estate investing isn't for anyone but there's a ton of people out there who are supplementing their income and growing their retirement accounts using real estate. Now, if you've listened to the show for any length of time that you know that I'm pretty passionate about all things personal finance, I'm a self-proclaimed money nerd, but my whole family's background is in real estate. My parents have developed 7 million square feet of real estate, whether it's commercial and office and industrial and residential. My stepmom is one of the largest agents in Las Vegas for selling real estate and can help any of you actually find a home anywhere across the country with her vast network of people. So you can always email me and I can connect you guys to her if you're trying to find a house. Cousin does commercial leasing, aunt does commercial sale, like the whole family does it. And so I'm very familiar with it and I in fact invest in real estate myself separate of the stock that I invest in currently. Now it is not A giant massive percentage of my overall portfolio. It is a very reasonable amount. I think I'm up to 13 or 14% now of our total investable assets are in real estate. Yes, you heard that correctly. It is not 50, 60, 80%. Like some people are pitching that this is the greatest thing since sliced bread and you should do this. But I see that there are a few positives if you do it within reason. And those would be that you are looking to create the quote unquote more passive income. Again, Nothing is exactly passive. It's some active in there as well. You can be as hands-on or as hands-off with the investment. You're going to receive some tax benefits, and it could help you achieve financial independence sooner. So investing in real estate has some really good perks to it. Now, many people think that real estate might take up too much time, and I think there are certain ways to invest in real estate that don't take up as much time. And once you get started, I think, You're going to start learning more about it and realize that it can produce somewhat passive returns. But I want to make sure we're talking about this very quick into the show. Real estate investing is not all sunshine and rainbows. There's going to be a billion challenges that you're going to face when you're a landlord or trying to manage things from a distance. You're going to spend a large chunk of time dealing with issues, especially in the beginning. Even with the challenges, I still think real estate can be a worthwhile endeavor. And some of you may be thinking, okay, why would I bother to add real estate to my portfolio? Aren't my stocks and bonds just fine? Do I need to complicate things? Absolutely no. You do not need to complicate things at all if that is you. Some of you would like to further diversify your portfolios. And for those people, I would say, yeah, it could make sense. And we'll talk about who it might benefit. But I think most investors could benefit by adding some real estate holdings to their portfolios. Adding real estate to your portfolio would allow you to take advantage of, like I said, diversification. And the theory behind diversification is that you are acknowledging that different asset classes behave differently as the economy changes. The relationship of the asset classes' prices over time is, is called correlation. And I think maybe we should review why diversification across asset classes is important and maybe even adding real estate or real estate syndications to your portfolio could raise your overall return while lowering your total risk. Now I said a couple things in there that I probably should clarify an asset class, right? Maybe you're going, Hey Ryan, what's an asset class? I would kind of use four main asset classes. There's equities, which is basically stocks. There's fixed income, which are your bonds. There's cash and other money market instruments out there. And then there's this fourth bucket called alternative assets. And this is where real estate or commodities, honestly, jokingly, kind of not really, though, anything that isn't in the one, two or three that I just mentioned before is basically an alternative investment. And broadly speaking, an asset class describes one category of security. So traditionally, stocks, bonds, cash, real estate, these are what most people would think of when they hear an asset class. And we can get more specific and break this down further because you can look at industry and country and company size. So, an example, you can consider tech stocks as an asset class, or financial services stocks is another. Equities are often broken down into small cap, large cap, which are roughly describing the company's size. But let's keep it simple. We'll refer to asset classes as stocks, bonds, real estate, cash. With that disclaimer, yes, there's other types, but For simplicity, that's what we'll use for today. Now, diversification is a fancy term. That means don't put all your eggs in one basket. You're going to spread your money around into different investments like stocks, real estate, and you can actually improve your overall return and decrease the volatility in your portfolio. So in other words, you can make more money with less downside risk. If you invest in multiple asset classes, You might be able to weather the storm, whether one asset class is dropping like a rock during a recession. And since you've invested in other asset classes that perform well in those kind of rocky market conditions, your portfolio won't quote unquote collapse and fall with the overall recession. So, if we're thinking about how real estate would improve your return, I think the first part of this is easy. Real estate improves. The overall return, because it's a profitable asset class and it's been doing that for a very long time. Decreasing risk is great, but the goal is to make the highest return possible for the least amount of risk. I should say for whatever risk level that you're willing to tolerate or able to tolerate. So if you want to lower your risk, you would likely have more money into things that are near cash or fixed income. Now, real estate will help lower your volatility, but according to Harvard Economics, they put out this rate of return on everything from 1870 to 2015, the most recent thing I could find, and they publicized this in March of 2019, that real estate has actually outperformed the market since 2000, which is interesting. I would have not honestly have guessed that going through the 2008 to really 2000, probably 12 or 13 massive bear market in real estate. And specifically, they highlighted multifamily investments as having the highest average return of any commercial real estate asset class. I thought that was actually quite fascinating as well. And they further broke it down and said residential real estate, although that residential real estate has had the best long run investment performance in modern times. And I think if you're glutton for a punishment, you can check out the data yourself. Again, it's called the rate of return on everything 1870 to 2015 and it was on harvard.edu's site on their economics part of their website. Looking at that, real estate might be performing better than stocks, yet real estate prices aren't as vulnerable to the same economic forces of the stock market. So you might be going, "Look, like, why don't I just throw everything in there? Again, diversification, and that honestly just wouldn't be wise. But when we look at the real estate market and the stock market, they're not really well correlated. Yet, now, we're going to get technical so don't stop listening for a second but real estate values have not historically moved in lockstep with the stock market and as real estate in the stock market prices are not correlated is really what we're talking about and so adding real estate to a portfolio of stocks and bonds will decrease the overall risk in a dip in your portfolio a correlation is the relationship between the value of assets if let's say the price of coffee and the price of sugar always move up in the exact same amount, the correlation is one. If the price of coffee and sugar move in the exact opposite directions, I don't know why I chose coffee and sugar. I think it's because I'm drinking coffee here. Then the correlation would be negative one. And now this has nothing to do with causation. These asset classes aren't affecting each other. The correlation only describes how prices move in relation to that other asset. So real estate and the stock and bond markets are not closely correlated. So adding real estate to your portfolio will in fact lower volatility. Now in a perfect world, which we're not in, you'd build a portfolio of assets that are not correlated at all. And so one asset's gonna go down in value, while another asset in your portfolio ideally would go up more than the first asset actually fell. Now again, looking back at some of this data, Over the last 40 years, the stock market and the value of the multifamily or apartment complexes, they actually broke out that data and said that it had a correlation of 0.13. So this correlation is less than one, but it is still positive. In plain English, when stocks go down, there is a small chance that real estate will go down with it, but the real estate values probably won't go down as much or by as large of an amount. So adding an asset class like real estate to a portfolio of stocks and bonds, again, decreases the volatility in the overall portfolio. Now you might be going, well, why doesn't real estate prices and stock prices do the exact same thing? That is a question I've received. And I think to understand correlation between the asset classes, you need to understand really the underpinnings of correlation, which is risk. And there's two types of risk to explain correlation between asset classes, systematic risk. And specific risks. Now, specific risks are that tied to a country or company or an industry. Uh, Let's pick on Facebook because I think Facebook kind of stinks. I'm really not a huge fan. I don't know about you guys. If Zuckerberg decides to do something controversial, the Facebook as a company and its stock price will suffer. Now, you can reduce the risk in your portfolio if you owned Facebook, which don't own an individual stock. But if you did, then you could reduce that risk in your portfolio by investing in multiple tech companies instead of just owning Facebook. Whereas systematic risk, this is also known as market risk and systematic risk is a risk to the economy as a whole. So think of it as risk due to economic conditions. Honestly, everything in your portfolio will always be exposed to this risk. It's not tied to any one company or even one industry. So example could be political instability that maybe is negatively affecting the economy, and that could lead to a recession, which then poses a risk to all investments. This risk, I think, is the absolute hardest to eliminate from any portfolio. You can reduce systematic risk to an extent, and you do that by investing in a range of investments And some of which are going to perform better in a bad economy than others. But you can't ever remove systematic risk. And no investment operates really in this vacuum apart from the economy. But real estate is not infected by some systematic risk like inflation as much as the stock market. It's less vulnerable, I'd say, to some systematic risk. When I mention inflation, that's important. And we've talked about this a little bit on the show. And we're probably going to talk a lot more on it with the Fed's quantitative easing and open market operations and buying all the debts and increasing our M2 money supply by 26% just in 2020 alone, which means let's say that in January 1st of 2020, there was only a hundred dollars in existence, obviously not the case, but for the example, at the end of 2020, we had $126. So in all of the history of the dollar, it took from the first dollar in existence up to that hundredth dollar in this example, again, Add lots of zeros to this to get the real number. And then in one year, we increase that by 26%. That's why everyone thinks inflation is coming. And the Fed is saying it's transitory, meaning it's going to be here for a little bit and then it's going to go away. That's hard to believe, but we don't know. My crystal ball is broken right now. Word on the street is inflation is coming. And in real estate is actually a good hedge against inflation. One of those systematic risks. Again, I'm getting a bit technical. Try to stay with me. Rewind it if you need to. Shoot me an email if this just absolutely doesn't make sense. And I would love to try to clarify it if it doesn't. Hedging against inflation is, I think, one of the biggest advantages of real estate investing. So most people say it's the passive income. I actually think it's the hedge against inflation because inflation is one of the biggest enemies of an investment portfolio. And real estate can really help protect you from that to an extent, though, not a perfect protection. And inflation is really how much the prices of goods go up one year over another year. And I think real estate is quote unquote good. And it's a thing you buy. Now, real estate is quote unquote a good. It's a thing that you buy. So when inflation drives the price of those goods up, well, the price of real estate will go up too. Inflation, like I said, is a systematic risk. It affects the whole economy but real estate will suffer a little less from inflation than maybe other asset classes. And it might even potentially benefit from it. Now, the Fed has mandated this 2% inflation rate, and they said it might even get higher than 2.5% in this transitory period. Now, what are we talking about when we're talking about a 2% inflation? I think this is also really helpful because all of this ties into investing in real estate and why you would invest in real estate. So let's say that you had of bonds that are going to pay a ridiculous amount of 5%. Uh, We're not getting that anywhere, but let's just go with that for a second. Now, by the end of the year, you're going to get $500 of interest or 5% from those bonds. But if you had 2% inflation rate, the actual return will be 3%. Even though you've invested that 10K and you earned 5% or the $500, you actually end up with a real return of 3%. And the reason is because you need to subtract out the increased inflation rate from your returns. So you might have $500 in your pocket, but a year later, that $500 just doesn't go as far as it did in the beginning of the year. And the system, by design, is supposed to be hitting 2% inflation every single year, which means that the value of the dollar will basically get cut in half by design every 36 years. Now, if we achieve 2.5% inflation, that puts it down to 28 years. So let's just call it 30 years for the sake of this discussion. What I'm referring to is if you have $100 in your hand right now and it can buy $100 worth of goods, whatever that is, think of the grocery store and what you could get for 100 bucks. it will take you $200 to buy the same exact thing in 30 years. That's why when we hear stories from our parents and our grandparents about how stuff used to cost a nickel and a dime and a quarter and whatever, and now that thing is $1. fifty, inflation has taken hold and has basically not just caused the good to go up, but it's actually the purchasing power of the dollar has actually decreased by 50 or 80. or, And the further you go back, the more it's decreased. When they first were tracking all of this, The dollar is basically down 98% or 99%, something ridiculous, and it's going to keep getting worse as inflation continues. So real estate is a hard asset. It's an asset. You can go up and touch it, and inflation causes the price of commodities, these tangible things that you can touch, to rise. So with a rise in inflation, real estate will also likely rise in value. In fact, the value of your real estate, probably the investment itself will rise, which then increase your returns on your investment. So, if you invested, let's say, in an apartment building through a syndication, like I've mentioned, Kathy Carroll's been on talking about syndications, that inflation, as it affects the rents to go up, the total income from the building to rise, and that not only increases cash flow, but that causes the appraised value of the real estate to increase. So we've mentioned quite a bit. Now, I think the most important thing to talk about here is choosing not just what to invest in, but when to invest in real estate. And you might assume that, hey, anytime's the right time to start making money. But truthfully, you need to have your financial house in order before you make any big leap into investing in real estate. And what I mean by this is first, you need to have your goals defined and a path to achieve them. So make sure you're on the right track before putting any substantial amount towards something like real estate. Some questions that I think you can ask are, have I paid off my student loans or do I have a strategic plan in place to get them paid down? If you don't, you're going to love all of June because that's what we're talking about. Am I maxing out all my retirement contributions? Do I have the IRAs that I'm contributing to? Am I putting money away in a taxable account? Do I have an emergency? or a savings fund that's fully maxed out? Are you basically doing all the right things that we've talked about for the last four years? And if you're answering yes to all of those and you still have extra money left over, then and only then is it probably a good time to start talking and thinking more about real estate. But please do your homework, All right, It's gonna be really tempting to throw caution to the wind and just jump in headfirst into real estate. And I've seen so many doctors that want to start investing and they just go absolutely in the deep end of the pool and they're investing multiple properties right out of the gate without ever having investing before. And then they get into a ton of trouble because they've overpaid for properties or didn't do the right due diligence and have tons of issues with the properties. Like it's true. You need experience in real estate to firsthand to really know what it's like day to day, but that doesn't mean you jump head first into it without doing your homework. Now that homework is not as hard as you might think, right? You're already doing some of the process right now. You're listening to a podcast on it. We have a book actually coming out, more talking about buying your first home, but the book's coming out later this summer on how to buy a home. But you're listening to podcasts, you can read other books, you can listen to blogs, you can join other Facebook groups, if you will, that are focused on real estate. You want to talk with people who have actual experience. A lot of the people that are promoting Products right now have no experience or very little experience in what they're doing. They maybe have done it one time or two times, or maybe they're viewed as a quote unquote guru to a lot of you, but they don't have a ton of experience. You need to follow people who have a big background who do this all day, every day. It's not some random thing that they decided that they're an expert in. You need to go with a good resource and maybe even find a mentor, someone who's willing to tell you the good, the bad, the ugly about all of your questions and your ideas that are related to real estate. And the point is, it helps to know what you're getting into first. And so my personal recommendation is first learn how to evaluate deals. And then, and only then, when you're very confident in the numbers and you can explain it to someone that is meaningful or important in your life, whether it's a spouse, your parents, whatever, exactly what you're doing and why you're doing it, they then can understand how it works then you've truly mastered the concept. You truly know what you're doing to the extent that then you can go buy a property or go infest in a multifamily syndication or something like that. And if you want a good course, you can go to financialresidency.com slash MF masterclass. That is actually the class that Kathy Carroll and Vina Jetty, who've both been on the show, as well as Kate and Victor Mangona. All of them are very extremely smart people have a fantastic course that I've got to sneak peek look at and that can help you understand all the ins and outs of investing in syndications. So you can check that out if you're interested in that piece, but there's a ton of resources out there. and I highly encourage you to continue to improve your knowledge and feel very comfortable before putting any of your hard-earned money into real estate investing. Now, I'll give it right before we leave here, just some common forms of real estate investing. So common forms of real estate investing. And as we're talking about these, there's several of them and I'll go through them pretty quickly. And then as we dig through this whole month on real estate, we'll be talking about some of these very in detail. But you can own rental properties, right? They come in all shapes and sizes. But most of you are going to think when I say that single family homes, right? They're the most common. They're the simplest form of real estate investment. That might be a you could also go to a duplex or a triplex or a quad. Those also fall under rental property category. Single families, duplex, tries, quads. They're all options. And you might not even need a property management company in order. You can potentially handle that all on your own with your tenants. Now, rental properties could also be something like multifamily or apartment complexes. And I think these are definitely great investments to potentially consider if you have a large amount of capital that you'd like to place and you don't really want to do any of the work. Retail is another way that you might be able to invest, and I think retail absolutely got crushed, and we have no idea what's going to happen. So I'd be very, very careful with this. But that would be something like properties that maybe a building that CVS or Walgreens or it could be strip malls that these big companies are going to go in and take long-term leases on, and you and probably many other investors are going to buy in and hold these triple net leases, and. Really, everything is handled for you in that sense, but retail as it sits now with COVID and everything up there, I'd be very careful with this. There's things like mixed lease properties and there's industrial, there's mobile home parks. You could do land ownership. That could be profitable, right? Developers are looking for land, and when that happens, like you could definitely hit it big, but holding land is extremely, I think, risky way to basically buy and invest in real estate. There's fix and flips. That's when someone maybe yourself or you're investing with another person you go buy a home you renovate it you tear whatever it out that you need to you fix it up and then you flip it out by selling it for a much higher price you're putting all that money into renovate it and then you're selling to ideally make that profit this is like what you on HD TV i promise you it is a lot lot harder and takes way longer than they're actually showing you on TV that wouldn't make good TV if they were showing you the entire process And usually you just see like the funny moments and the little bloopers and things. But this could be something that if you're extremely handy and you have extra capital and you have extra time, all of which physicians don't, but maybe your significant others do, that could be an option. I'm not into selling things very much. I like to buy and basically hold as long as I possibly can um, until something dramatically is going to change my mind. So I'm not into fix and flips. It's a lot of work to generate lots of gains that I'm just not excited on. I'd rather just be a holder of it, but there's lots of people that do that. There's real estate investment trusts or known as REITs. And this is the option that most of you should choose because you can invest in real estate without directly being involved. And we're really primarily talking here about public REITs because those are traded on the stock market. You put the money in and hopefully you get some sort of return out of that. Basically, you're investing in companies that are going to go buy the industrial buildings, the strip malls, the whatever. They all specialize in something. You're letting them do all the hard work and basically just pay you or your money is being put in and you're just getting paid in a dividend. Usually, you're going to do this through an indexed REIT, not even picking specific REITs. Because again, we're all about... Diversification, passively index funds, not picking individual securities. There's other crazier ways that I definitely won't go into, but tax liens and there's all sorts of notes and non-performing notes we're talking about first trust deeds and second trust deeds. There's so much other stuff in there. When you're looking at that list of stuff that you could potentially invest in, they all change. There's complexities with each one. You cannot master all of them. You're going to have to dig into one. And to really understand one and how it works before you jump into multiple ones. And I think there's some great questions that you should ask yourself. And when I had Dr. Carol on, we were talking about real estate and syndications and all that. I think she had five really, I think, great questions that will help you understand and narrow out what that would look like. And very quick synopsis of those questions in case you missed that episode was question one was, are you a control freak? Two is, do you have a lot of free time? Question three is, do you like humans? I think that's a funny one because if you're going to be a landlord, you better like talking to people. Question four is, are you comfortable taking on additional risks? And question five, I think, is the most basic and simple one, but most people get lost up in the details and the FOMO of, well, I need to invest and do do all these things because that's how I'll hit passive income streams that'll allow me to retire super early. But do you actually like real estate? Those seem like simple questions, but I think you really, really, really should try to sit down and answer those in the respect of just like any other venture that is worth doing. If you can't understand, or if you don't like the thing that you're about to embark in, don't do it. It's best to try something else. But I think going through these questions, you're going to get a better understanding if you're an active investor or a passive investor, and ultimately which type of investment is right for you. So for the rest of the month, we're going to go through, and I think this is a decent primer of why real estate and the benefits and some of the cons on real estate investing. We're going to talk about some single family rentals. We'll talk about some syndications. I'll go through a bunch of other stuff in detail this month, but hopefully this is a good primer for you to understand how things work. We're even going to get in the nitty gritties. I promise you we're going to do some of that talking about how the IRS views your real estate income and how it affects your taxes. And with net investment, income tax, and taxes, ordinary income, we're going to go through all the crazy stuff and accredited investors. So more is coming. Promise you that. But hopefully this was helpful and I appreciate all of you. Switching over to our financial malpractice segment, I've got on special guest, John Apino today. John, welcome onto the show.
2: Thank you for having me, man.
0: This is gonna be fun. John is an expert. He runs contract diagnostics. We love partnering with you guys. And I'm curious to know what is your financial horror story for us today?
2: All right. So the defining what's reasonable, if you see the word reasonable in your contract, it can be up for grabs and fluid per se. So there was one physician who had a schedule. it was reasonably determined by the employer. And it was no more detailed than that. And uh, he sent me an email. I actually copied the email. And so I'll read it because I can't do it justice if I were to tell it myself. So this is his email that he sent in. So today, my upcoming schedule was released. And now I think this may be grounds for breach. This is insane because in no world is this considered even fair, let alone reasonable, because I've worked the following. The only thing I haven't worked is Thanksgiving Day and New Year's. So I would argue this is breach of contract as I've worked literally all major holidays except those two listed and let me know your thoughts. So two days of Labor Day weekend, Columbus Day weekend, overnight Halloween and Halloween weekend, night before Thanksgiving, so he couldn't travel anywhere, Christmas Day and the day after Christmas, MLK Day, Valentine's Day before and after the night shift, and then all six days of Mardi Gras. So pretty much every single holiday and then in between all of those. So it's not like they were giving him additional time off in between all of those. He was working his typical five day a week schedule. There was no extra day off for any additional weekends that he worked. I feel that's unreasonable. He felt it was unreasonable, but since the contract didn't define what reasonable was, I don't know that he really had a leg to stand on. So we can sit here and talk about what we feel is reasonable and unreasonable, but having details in a contract on your specific schedule and not something that says reasonable or fair might be in a physician's best interest. Because for something like that, there, and again, depending on what the contract is, you can potentially leave, but that might create other issues and financial considerations, of course, as well. What's considered reasonable? It's good to have those things documented and defined.
0: Yeah, I really don't like that word reasonable. And we've seen it a few of our physician clients contracts and I'm like I hope we never have to test this because that is very hard to like you said have any legal ground to stand on I'm curious off your take here on this if there was other physicians in the practice or in the group that had the same language that weren't working those and required to work those holidays could that be then potential grounds to say look we we're all the same we're all equals you're just having me work all of these holidays where you're not having anyone else could that be deemed unreasonable, at least give them some sort of leg to stand on?
2: Potentially. Again, it's up to what people think might be unreasonable. So sometimes we'll even see policy documents that might carve out certain individuals for doing certain types of schedules or holidays. And so without knowing what all those look, like, again, that's why instead of having even fair and equitable equals good, but then if there's something about policies with once you're over 55 years old, you don't have to take call anymore. You don't have to work holidays. That's why it's important to have your exact schedule or as clear as possible into the agreement. And I think asking them how they handle holidays. Sometimes even in a contract, you might have a physician working four days a week. Let's say that they've got Monday as their day off of the week. They work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Well, if Monday is a dedicated holiday for the group, how do they handle that week? I think even having some of those expectations in the contract can be important, or at least having the conversation up front but what's considered reasonable from one place to the next might be dramatically different. And so it just shows you all the importance of doing due diligence upfront. And then of course having the contract reflect what that expectation is.
0: Yeah, everything should be black and white. Nothing should be left for interpretation. Everything should be thought out, even if it makes it longer. This is to protect you your interests and you don't want to do this. And that's the other side of the finance piece that if you end up extending yourself or end up spending more than you earn, it can end up putting you in a real big bind because then you have no choice but to sit there and to do those things. So mm-hmm. I think this is fantastic horror story. This is one of those that when I see this in our client stuff, it really bothers me that it wasn't identified. So thank you so much for coming on and talking about what was reasonable and not. If anyone needs their contract reviewed, we love partnering with John and his team. So reach out to them at financialresidency.com contract. All right. I had a great time talking about real estate. This whole month I think is going to be pretty interesting. I think I've lost count now. At least a hundred questions in the last six months have come in related to real estate. Most of you have not felt comfortable calling in a question. Not sure why. I would love to hear more voices on the show, but I think this is a way that I'll take all of those hundred plus questions or however many that are there, wrap up into four or five really good shows this month around real estate But I really want to encourage you to leave me a voicemail by going to financialresidency.com slash question so I can answer it on air. I think everyone will benefit from it. All right. And before we end, don't forget to go hang out with my friend, Dr. Aaron Wiseman over at Dr. Me First on your favorite podcast app. All right, everyone. Have a great week. I know we've missed a show here and there the last few weeks. On Mondays, it's been a little hectic and crazy with everything going on. That will not continue going forward. We've got a lot of good stuff planned for you. So I appreciate you emailing me and trying to figure out what's happening with the show. promise you we're going to be kicking butt and taking names this year, helping you guys out, understanding your personal finances. Please share this podcast with any other physician or physician family that you think will benefit from understanding more about their personal finances and helping them feel very comfortable around what they're doing or at least feel more comfortable around what they're doing. That's the whole purpose and point of the show. Make sure to call in those questions. Let's finish out with uh little man and giving you the disclaimer because that disclaimer is extremely, extremely important. All right. Have a good week. See you on Friday. Cheers.
2: This is for entertainment purposes only. Do not take this as investment advice. My dad is only a fiduciary for his clients. Have a great day. Bye.